Welcome to the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast, featuring the original hockey insider, Bob McKenzie. Hey, that's me, answering your questions on hockey or just about anything else, within reason, of course. If you have a question you would like answered, email me at bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca. And we'll try to get it on the Bobcast. We were a blood of wicked proportions. An accidental company. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of the At TSN Hockey Bobcast. This one for Friday, December 29th. 2017. I guess you could call this the post-Christmas edition of the Bobcast, the year-end edition of the Bobcast, the middle of the World Junior Championship edition of the Bobcast, or maybe even the time for a confession edition of the Bobcast. That is to suggest that uh, as I talk to you right now, it's not actually Friday, December 29th for me. I knew my World Junior Championship schedule was going to be so hectic uh, that uh, I taped this edition of the Bobcast before Christmas. So don't tell anybody, but I'm actually doing this on Thursday, December the 21st, uh, not Friday, December 29th, because weather permitting, um, there's the Canada-U.S. outdoor game on Friday, December 29th. It's going to be real busy with that. So um, call it whatever you want. We could call this the best of the Bobcast, because that's kind of what it is, maybe the best and the worst of the Bobcast. There might be more worse than best. Uh, whatever you call it, I hope 2017 was very good to you, and I hope that um, 2018 will be even better. And and I did think that it might be fun to pick out a few highlights and or lowlights, um, because let's be honest, we probably don't have too many Bobcast highlights. From Season 1 of the Bobcast, our first 18 episodes, and um, to that end, I thought, let's um, let's start with some really good listener feedback we got way back in Season 1, Episode 14, because I think, A, it, it got some really good reaction from our faithful listeners at the time, and B, it sort of reinforces the whole Bobcast mission statement, which is never a bad thing to to let our new listeners know exactly what they are getting or not getting. So without further ado, um, let's listen to our friend Richard Graham, or um, as we called him back then, Dick, and thank him very much for this moment. Speaking of which, that would uh, include, I guess, a guy by the name of Richard Graham, who the day after episode 13 on April 1st was kind enough to write an email to the Bobcast at bellmedia.ca, and I'd like to read you that email right now. Subject matter, TSN Hockey Bobcast question. This from Richard Graham. You suck. Shove your interminable ass-licking testimonials. Either talk hockey or f*** off. Oh my. Oh my. Turns out Richard is not such a fan of the Bobcast after all. But that's okay. We're equal opportunity. Um, You know, we read the nice fan mail. So I guess if you've got a hater or two or three, whatever, you got to give them equal opportunity. And by no means are we beyond criticism here at the Bobcast. But I will tell you this. Richard's email intrigues me on so many levels. Now, I don't expect everybody to love the Bobcast. In fact, I knew when we kind of came up with the idea, not we, when I came up with the idea in the summer that, hey, I'd like to try a podcast. And I knew that it would have a hockey basis. That There's no point, you know, 
I'm a hockey insider. I got to give you some hockey content, but that wasn't exactly why it was designed. I wanted to have a little fun stuff, some personal stuff. Um, and I knew when I was conceiving the idea that to talk about wine recommendations or a TV series or what I like or dislike in music or talking about funny stuff or self-deprecating stories, what an idiot I am. I knew that a lot of it would be, some people might view it as sort of self-absorbed narcissistic bullshit, which is fine because it probably is. But that was also what I wanted to do. And, you know, so I figured, hey, it won't be for everybody. But in this particular instance, I mean, you know, you got to kind of seek this thing out. So uh, in any case, um, Richard's not a fan. So let me first officially respond to uh, Richard Graham. And Richard, if I may be so bold, may I, may I call you Dick? So, so Dick, thank you very much for your email. I'm sorry you're not a fan of the Bobcast. Now go f*** yourself and uh, the horse that you rode in on. So there you go, Dick. Um, you know, and I, I wasn't even normally going to dignify Dick's email with a response, but I have to be honest with you. It was so well-written, well-crafted, very pithy. It was a, a very pithy salvo that I did admire how quickly and forcefully he got to the point, and I did find it to, to be quite entertaining on that level. But it also does allow me to reinforce why I did start the Bobcast in the first place. So here we are, episode 14. We haven't done this since episode one, but maybe it bears repeating in case there are new listeners who don't understand the concept. It's, uh, it's a hockey show, but only to a point. And uh, we like to have some fun and frivolity. And uh, we pretty much take it as it comes. So whether it's wine or TV or books or wine or margaritas, uh, that's all part and parcel of the package. And the thing you should know is nobody came to me and said, hey, you got to do this. This is part of your job. I'm not obliged to do this. This is just a, a labor of love. Have a little bit of fun every other Friday afternoon. And uh, I'll continue to do it for as long as I continue to have fun doing it. So uh, the other reason I brought up uh, Dick's email is that I'm I'm truly amazed at the dicks of the world. And, and that is to say, I think there's a lot of people out there who live in some alternate reality where they actually feel entitled to think that my podcast should um, do exactly what they think it should be for them. And when it's not, that they're prepared to take the time and the effort to actually write an angry email about it and, and tell me off. And I'm not surprised by that, but it is it is odd because you get a steady diet of that on Twitter. I mean, you know, if you write 10 tweets on the same topic, somebody will say, write a blog, put it on tsn.ca, this isn't what your account's for, um, and similar type criticisms. And, of course, you know, the the easy response is, well, you're following me. If you don't like what you're getting, don't follow. I mean, it's not mandatory. And the funny thing, as I said about the Bobcast, is it requires... I won't want to say significant effort, but it's not even as easy as clicking on the, the follow button. You, you you got to take the time and effort to subscribe to the Bobcast and carve out more than a few minutes or more than a few seconds of your day to actually listen to it. So, um, you know, and as I said, I normally don't give the dicks of the world a moment's notice. Now, I got to admit, I used to. On Twitter, I used to block people like it was my job. And I used to fight with people and trade insults and go back and forth. And I would actually sometimes go to great lengths for guys that were trolling me. Um, I remember there was a, there was a group of guys, and I'm going to guess they're in their late 20s, early 30s. 
And it turned out that they, I think they all worked at the same place. Um, but in any case, they decided they were going to have a little bit of an orchestrated Twitter insult campaign with me. And they all jumped on the bandwagon. So it's funny, you know, the Internet allows you um, to, to allows trolls and, and bullies and guys with too much time on their hands to, to get access to you. And, um, but it also allows you, if you are so inclined, to uh, get access to their lives as well. So this group of four or five guys that thought they were being really funny and they were kind of personal with their insults and it was, you know, hour by hour, day by day and ignored it at first. And then I decided, you know what, enough's enough. So I found out what company these guys work for because, as I said, you can get on the Internet and you can basically find out a lot of things about a lot of people with nothing more than a Twitter handle and a, and a, a geographic idea of where that person lives. And the next thing you know, um, I knew what company they worked for. I knew their boss's name. I knew their phone numbers. I knew uh, what recreational hockey teams they played for. I knew how many goals they scored or didn't score. I knew what clubs they belonged to. I, you, as I say, you can go on and on and on. So as things started to ramp up with these guys, I decided uh, to fight a little fire with fire and started tweeting back at them. But I would tweet back with information about their personal lives and letting them know that, do you really think, and I'd use their boss's first name and at, at, uh, at, at this four-digit extension number, do you really think you're, you're representing your company well with this? And suddenly the, the tone changed. So actually, James Duthie and I used to do that a little bit with uh, with people who would be uh, uh, all over us on Twitter. And, um, you know, whether it was high school kids that were using terminology and language that would only get themselves in trouble, we try to teach them a, a nice lesson that if they're going to go through life using words like that, that they're going to have a tough time getting hired and things like that. So then one day I kind of woke up and I said, what kind of grown ass man spends as many hours as you've done recently uh, trying to teach immature kids or frat boy adults uh, a lesson in manners? And uh, these people are strangers and uh, you're not obligated to talk to them and you're not uh, obligated to put up with any nonsense. You can just ignore them and your life would be a better place. So um, I decided quite a number of years ago that there would be uh, no more blocks on Twitter, no more Twitter fights, um, and I would just uh, ignore people and, and move on because uh, I'm far too busy in life and there's too many good things to concentrate on that you focus on, on the negative people. So, so I guess what I'm saying is for me to read Dick's email back, um, the only reason I did that was a because it was good for a laugh and provided a little bit of good material for the bobcast and b um it's really a good vehicle to suggest to you um don't waste your time and effort on the dicks of the world who mean nothing to you and have nothing to offer so thank you very much dick um listen doing this podcast has been somewhat of a, an educational experience for me and I, and I still think it's very much a work in progress. I'm, I'm not sure where we're going with it, but um, it's going to constantly evolve here. And, and I think both in terms of style and substance, um, it'll continue to uh, change and evolve. And, and I guess it never hurts to get a little, um, a little push sometimes in the form of some friendly competition. And uh, that was something that I discussed back in episode 10 way back on February 17th. I, I am feeling a little down this week. I've got a little what I would describe as podcast envy. 
uh, my very good friend and my colleague, Mr. James Duffy of TSN, um, came out this week with his very first podcast. It's called the Rubber Boots Podcast. I think that's the name of it. It's quite aside from the fact it was very, very good. That's a stupid name for a podcast, but that I digress. And and James in one week did an amazing job. His podcast has unbelievable production value. He's got guests. He's actually got real live guests. I mean, he got Roberto Luongo of the Florida Panthers on his podcast to make revelations about how he he uses Preparation H ass wipes, uh, how he can't stop going number two to the bathroom on game days. I mean, you know, that's unbelievable. And he, you know, he didn't just have one guest. He had multiple guests. He had the, the great Lester McLean, who, who, he, TSN employee who's does live jingles and writes music and sings songs and strums a guitar in the background. And I got nothing. Um, he also had Puffy on. Puffy, if you don't know who Puffy is, is Sean Cameron. Sean makes, Puffy makes everything happen for us, uh, the panel. Whether we're in Studio 6 or we're at the Stanley Cup Final on the road, as James said, Puffy is our fixer. And, and God bless Puffy because they did talk about the, the great work Puffy does for us. And, and Puffy did admit on, on James' podcast that not only if, if I were to kill a deranged fan with an empty wine bottle, not only would Puffy dispose of the body, but he'd also do the time for the crime for me and James. So... Um, you know, those are all good stuff. And, and you've got Puffy's hypotheticals on James' podcast, which is good stuff. Like, we get this all the time in Studio 6, or especially when we're on the road going back and forth between venues at the Stanley Cup Final, where Puffy will ask pointed questions like, what would you rather know, how you're going to die or when you're going to die? So, anyways, the the entire thing. And then, I mean, James has got, Christoph is his producer, and he's got all this high-value production sound effects and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'll talk about our producer here, Mark Mullen, in a little bit. Uh, he, he's, he's aces, too, but I, I'm going to explain a few limitations that I place on him. So anyways, um, and then there's James. I mean, what can you say about James? Look at him. Good-looking guy, beautiful hair, TV hair chestnut brown he says he doesn't color it and, and i really believe him and you know great teeth his big white tv chompers look great um and and james is incredibly gifted i mean he's funny he's smart he's creative he's witty he, he writes his own music he sings his own songs he can rap um boy there, there's almost nothing that james can't do and uh that's why I like working with him so much. I mean, that's the best part of working at TSN is working with people like James who are so damn good. I mean, as a host, I don't think there's another host. I don't think there's another broadcaster in Canada that's got the range and can do everything that James does. And, and I love the fact that he does that when we're on the panel and we're at the Stanley Cup final or whatever we may be covering. But I didn't know he was going to start a podcast and, uh, and now I'm, you know, I'm I'm not sure I like all those attributes that James has when he's got a competing podcast with the Bobcast. So am I envious? Oh yes, I am. You know, uh, the old blue eyes aren't very blue today. Uh, my my eyes are blue. They're not Marty Beer on blue, but they are blue. But today I've got to admit they're uh, 
they're a little bit green because I, I feel like in just one episode of James Rubber Boot Pod, is it Rubber Boots or Rubber Boot? I don't know. Anyways, um, in one episode of his podcast, he kind of blew my little podcast right out of the water. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. And uh, even if he made me look like amateur hour, um, I say you've got to kind of know your limitations. You've got to stay in your lane. And uh, as I said, I've got a great producer for our podcast, Mark Mullen, Mulls, a talented guy, um, probably wants to do sound effects, but um, we don't have time for that nonsense. This is down and dirty. These are the basement tapes. And, uh, you know, I don't have time to do interviews with people. Uh, I can't be worrying about Roberto Luongo's schedule and trying to hook up with him. And uh, I don't have time for production value. And, uh, you know, I most of the time, uh, Mark, he, in order to just to get this podcast to air, which I'm pushing him to do, like we just bang this thing out and put it right up. You know, James did his the day before. They work on it. They polish it up. Comes out the next day. Uh, you know, uh, Mark spends his whole time me finishing a segment saying, "Ah, oh, that was no good. F-ing. Don't make sure you don't put that one on the air. Fix that one up." And and so that's it. And uh, you know, our podcast. I prefer to think of the Bobcast as as more along the lines of how Neil Young wrote uh, the song Ohio. I always remember David Crosby telling the story on the Howard Stern show of how um, after the the killings at Kent State, um, Neil Young and David Crosby were at at Crosby's place out in California and out in the the country. And uh, Neil took his guitar and walked off. And 15 minutes later, he came back and he'd written the song Ohio. And by Monday, it was on the radio. So um, that's what the Bobcast is all about. Just me. Just your questions and my answers. We are going to be a victory of substance over style. And uh, these are the things you have to say to yourself when James comes out with guests and a polished podcast. Now, I must admit that I did finally bow to the Rubber Boots podcast pressure. And uh, that was in episode 17. If you remember, we were in Nashville for the Stanley Cup final. Oh, my God, was that a fun Stanley Cup final? (laughs) I don't want to cheer for any one particular team, but if Nashville were to make it again this year, it wouldn't be such a bad thing. Um, And and the way Vegas is playing, I mean, what a story in 2017 they've been. But in any case, um, back in episode 17, I finally did break down. And instead of doing the uh, solo Bobcast, I brought in a couple of very special guests. guests and uh, here's how it went down. And uh, if this isn't cheeseball acting, uh, I don't know what is. So before we get into some listener feedback and some questions on this week's Bobcast, I've got some very exciting news on the Bobcast this week. For the first time ever, we've got guests. Not one, but two special guests. And it doesn't get any bigger than these two guys. I'd like to introduce James Duffy and Sean Cameron, a.k.a. Puffy, or Our Boy Puff, as we like to call him. Now, you might know James as the TSN's host with the most, and let's not kid anybody, though. He's the originator and the host of the world-famous Rubber Boots podcast, and Puffy is the undisputed star, the real star of the Rubber Boots podcast. So welcome to the Bobcast, boys. It's great to have you here. This is unbelievable, Bob. Uh, this has been a dream of mine. I didn't think you would ever have a guest. And since you were on the Bobcast, gave us the Bobby Boost uh, early on when you were on the Rubber Boots podcast. For us, to for you to reciprocate that and for us to be on this, I, it's unbelievable. It's so exciting. I mean, to be on with a legend like you, Bob, 
I never thought this day would come. And I have so many stories to tell. I can't, yeah, I can't wait to get so to it. It's going to be so much fun. Oh, absolutely, guys. And, 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 you know, Mutual Admiration Society, I mean, I love the Rubber Boots podcast. That Rod Black recap is absolutely amazing. And, and, and that Lester Hayes guy, the guy that used to play in the NFL, Lester Hayes, he's, he's awesome. And, and what, I, I'm not sure, Chris Christopherson, the producer? Chris that, that, that is so good. Anyways, anyways, let's get down to it. Uh, in honor of you guys being here, um, I wanted to debut a brand new feature segment. I came up with it all on my own. As Donald Trump would say, it's a tremendous segment. It's the best. I've got the best people working on this. So this would be called Bobby's Hypotheticals. No, 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 no we, we do that. That's hey, hey, guys, guys, okay, guys. Hey, James, excuse me. I don't know how you guys do things on the Rubber Boots podcast, but here at the Bobcast, guests only speak when they're spoken to. So, as I was saying, the very original, the so unique, the best of the best, Bobby's hypotheticals. Now, when I suggest, this is where I suggest a hypothetical situation, and then we discuss, exactly we, we discuss it. We discuss it. Now, if you were starting, this, this is my hypothetical, Bobby's hypotheticals. If one were to start a podcast and one wanted it to be the best podcast, would you interview guests? Or would you go it alone and just do a solo talk all by yourself? So that's a great question. I'm going to go first since it's my podcast. That's why this is called The Bobcast. So such a hard hypothetical. But honestly, I think I'd like to go with the solo option. No guests. Yeah, that's the way I'm going to go. So James, Puffy, I'd like to thank you very much. It was great having you. Good chat. Later, guys. We'll see you later. Okay, hey, Jimmy, uh, there's a bag of laundry there. If you don't mind dropping off at the front desk, I'd appreciate it. All right, then. That was great. I look forward to doing some more in-depth interviews on the, uh, on the Bobcast, uh, just like that one. Uh, great to hear from James and Puffy. I think another key to really good podcasting, in my humble opinion, uh, is telling some good stories, you know, some behind-the-scenes stuff. And if you can make yourself look like a total jackass in the process, well, <laughs> so much the better. And that was certainly the case when I told the story of how I got shit-faced at my first NHL All-Star game. Whenever I hear of Nassau County Coliseum, I always think about my very first visit there. And this story is a little embarrassing, maybe a lot, uh, and is going to illustrate what a complete and utter idiot I am, or I was. I think I've matured a little bit. Not saying a lot, but I've matured a little bit. I was named editor-in-chief of the Hockey News on June 1st of 1982. So the 82-83 NHL season was my first year covering the league. So I went to the NHL All-Star game that year, um, and it was, it was at Nassau County Coliseum in Uniondale. And that was the year, this very famous All-Star game, when Wayne Gretzky stole the car from John Garrett. Of course, the great story. John Garrett was a late replacement to the uh, the All Star Game. Was playing tremendously in an All Star Game back then that was way better than what we've had in the last couple of decades, and looked like he was well on his way in the third period to winning the car as the MVP. Well, everybody knows what happened: four shifts, four goals for Wayne Gretzky, torched Garrett, and stole the car. And everybody remembers that. Well, why I remember about it was the fact that I'm 26-year-old, first-year editor-in-chief of the Hockey News, not very worldly, so I show up at Nassau, Nassau County Coliseum, 
go up to the press box. And as I'm going up to the press box, which was accessible from the main concourse um, upstairs at the at uh, the rink, um, I noticed, which I found very surprising in, in 1983 as a kid who grew up in Toronto, they actually sold mixed drinks, cocktails, uh, in addition to beer. And at the time, I mean, even even the selling of beer at Maple Leaf Gardens back in the day became a big deal because the liquor laws in Ontario were um, so ridiculous. When I grew up in, on, in in Toronto, you couldn't have a drink on a Sunday. Bars were never open. Um, you know, just a, a completely different time than it is now. People wouldn't really quite understand that. But anyway, so as I was making my way to the press box, I noticed that you could buy mixed drinks. And I thought, well, what the hell? Like, this is unbelievable. You could actually get a cocktail while watching a hockey game. This is an unbelievable revelation to this 26-year-old kid from Scarborough, Ontario. So I decided what the hell won't hurt. So I bought myself a rum and coke, my, my drink of choice. Well, it was so good and it went down so smooth as I was watching the game that uh, I decided uh, maybe I'll have another one. Well, if I had one, I probably had 10. I'm not kidding. I probably had 10 rum and cokes. And by the time Wayne Gretzky was lighting up John Garrett in the third period, I was completely and totally lit up myself. Now, I'm not sure what possessed me to do something so stupid or irresponsible, um, but I, you know, that was me and I did it. And, and I'm not sure if anybody was meeting me for the first time. Hey, there's the editor in chief of the hockey news. Is he drunk? Uh, yeah, apparently he is because I wasn't just feeling good. I was, I was drunk. And I, I think now my, my son, Sean, who's in the broadcast business, he's 27 years old. And I think what I would do if, if I ever found out or saw him at a professional event in a, in a, in a work capacity, getting blottoed. And so anyways, Steve from Long Island, there's my, uh, my memory, my first trip to the Nassau County Coliseum, memorable for so many reasons. Ah, yes, good times, drinking at work. Safe to say times have uh, significantly changed. Uh, I don't think people would uh, look too kindly on James Duffy and myself doing some morning drinking or day drinking before this Canada-U.S. outdoor game at New Era Field in Buffalo. But uh, it, it would be fun, but... Uh, I'm not sure we'd be able to pull that one off. Um, and, and I guess there are some stories you tell that are meant to be embarrassing. You, you, you know that they are. Um, but at the time, uh, you, you lack the self-awareness to realize that they're embarrassing. And maybe even now you stubbornly refuse to admit that they're embarrassing because you like to think you're smarter than anybody else. Like the time that I came up with that I still believe is an absolute genius solution to a home project problem, um, which I would still say to this day is true. Um, my wife would tell me is still sheer idiocy after all these years. Agree to disagree, Cindy. Uh, so here's the sidecar story, and uh, brilliant in my mind. I like to think, however, that there's a very fine line between stupidity and genius, and that maybe she doesn't always fully appreciate what I would say is my creative approach to problem solving. So that would be the Sodcar story. Now this was in the spring or summer of 1989. My son Mike was only three years old at the time. My wife was expecting with my second son, Sean, who was born in July of 89. 
Um, but I know this happened before Sean was born. Um, so we decided to get an above-ground pool in our backyard. And I was still young and foolish enough at that point to believe that I could do things around the house. So the very first task you have when you're putting in this above-ground pool is you've got to make a level surface, which meant that you had to take the sod out in the backyard where the pool was going to go. I don't exactly recall how big this pool was. I, I want to say it was a 15-foot diameter circle. Um, not overly big, but once I started cutting out the sod, I realized, man, I got a lot of sod I got to get rid of here. What am I going to do with this stuff? So I got that cut out and, you know, today it would be easy to get rid of it because it seems like everybody and their brother has a pickup truck. And certainly for a, a seven or eight year period, I had a pickup truck, but it was well after this point and pickup trucks were not nearly as popular back in the 1980s as they are now. And I mean, if I needed a pickup truck today, I just call up Dregs and said, give me your truck and borrow it. I could have loaded all that sod in the truck and be done with it. But back then, I had a very nice Buick Century Limited, and I love that car. I, it was the first sort of full-size car I'd ever had. I, I had a Volkswagen Bug, a Toyota Tercel that I'd driven before that. So this was a fairly new car, and uh, to be honest, I really didn't like the idea of loading up my nice Buick Century Limited in the trunk with all this sod and dirt and take it to dump it in a vacant lot that wasn't too far from where we lived. So Cindy suggested that I just put plastic down in the trunk, put the sod on top of the plastic, drive it to the dump, and dump it. I didn't like that idea. I figured that the dirt, even with plastic down, is going to get all over the trunk, and it's really going to mess it up, and I didn't want to have to vacuum out the, the dirt and just didn't appeal to me. So I thought really long and hard about my options, and then it suddenly came to me. Why not put the sod... Why put the sod in the car when you can put the sod on the car? Makes sense, doesn't it? Well, it did to me. So I took those sod pieces. I laid them across the hood of my Buick. I put some on the trunk, not in the trunk, on the trunk. And probably for dramatic effect, once I loaded up the sod on the, the hood and the trunk, I even put a few pieces across the top of the roof. Anyway, pretty much the entire top surface of my Buick Century was completely covered in sod, hence the sod car. Now, Cindy was not amused. Idiot, she said. If I had to drive any great distance, I'm sure I, I wouldn't have done it this way. But the, the lot where I was dumping the sod was less than a mile away. I was just basically driving through my neighborhood. Now, I will admit that as I drove down the street, um, I got a lot of really strange looks. But you know what? Not a single piece of sod fell off that car. It took no time to offload the sod into the vacant lot. I just basically pushed it off the, the hood and the trunk and the roof. I drove home, I took the hose out, I hosed the car down, and it was as if the sod had never been there. Now, can you imagine what a mess it would have been in my trunk if I'd put all that sod in there? So my wife says, idiot, me, I say genius, you be the judge, but it's still one of a number of things my wife and I still disagree on after all these years. So there you go, the sod car. You know, when I decided to do the Bobcast uh, to start it, I knew that there would be some real pros and cons to it. You know, the positives are pretty obvious. Have a little fun, disseminate some information, which is kind of my job description. That's, I'm supposed to tell people stuff about what's going on. So th those are the the obvious positives of, of doing the Bobcast. The negatives is that um, I, I guess, you know, I'm putting myself out there a little bit and it's a little too much of, you know, talk, talk, talk. Um, I, I try not to make things all about me in, in my career. But when you sit down to do a half hour or an hour or a 90-minute podcast, um, you are putting yourself out there. And, 
you are talking a lot about yourself and a lot of the questions you get are about yourself and so what did I call it in one of the uh, season one episodes self-absorbed narcissistic bullshit yeah and, and I think there's a real danger of that um, now anybody who who follows the Bobcast or who follows me know that I do try to be a stoic um, I try to practice stoicism um, I often recommend the Ryan Holiday books, Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, The Daily Stoic. And, um, and I knew that as soon as I started the Bobcast that um, uh, I'd be talking a lot. And right around the time I was starting the Bobcast, I was also reading Ryan Holiday's book, Ego is the Enemy. And there was actually an entire section in there about how people talk too much. And I was kind of... Uh, in conflict at the time because here I was launching this uh, this podcast where I was going to be doing nothing but talking about me and my exploits and I'm reading this book that basically imparts the following messages now I I write a little journal sometimes on on these books from Ryan Holiday because I I like to take the best points of the book because as I've gotten older here when I read a book I tend to forget what I've read 15 minutes later. So I'm looking at my little journal here and on Ego is the Enemy, there's a section called Talk, Talk, Talk. I'm just going to give you some of the highlights of this from my journal, which of course are the highlights from the Ego is the Enemy book. Um, Those who know do not speak. Those who speak do not know. Um, Next one is the temptation is for talk and hype to replace action. We do everything but focus on the task at hand. Here's a really good one. Um, The internet is an easy distraction. Talking about what you are going to do is easier than actually doing it. Talking is easy. We talk like our life depends on it. Uh, Don't fear silence. It is not a sign of weakness. Silence is strength. Here's one that's very appropriate. Anyone can talk about himself. Hmm. Uh, silence is the respite of the confident and the strong Uh, someone named Sherman has a quote here never give reasons for what you think or do until you must a man's best treasure is a thrifty tongue Um, here's some more talking depletes us talking and doing fight for the same resources Success requires a full 100% of our effort, and talk filters part of that effort away before we can use it. Uh, This next one's really interesting, and it's probably the only one that I actually disagree with. Talking, that is listening to ourselves talk, performing for an audience, is almost like therapy. Does that count for something? No. And this is the one where I actually disagree, because I do find that talking or listening to ourselves talk or performing for an audience can be therapeutic and it does count for something because for me it's thinking out loud and sometimes things are clearer when I've spoken them out loud but I guess to do it in front of other people might be self, self-absorbed narcissistic bullshit as I like to say. Here's some more uh, Ryan Holiday. Working quietly in the corner. Ignore the impulse to seek recognition before acting. And then the final one here, and uh, this is good advice for all of us as we close out 2017. Watch how much better you get when you plug that hole 
and then in parentheses it says mouth. Anyway, um, I promised myself that if I was going to do the talk, talk, talk thing, I had to make sure that there was going to be some sort of service that goes along with it. And as I've gotten older, I've tried to make things less about myself and more about service in some form, doing a little something to try and make our community a little better or make the, the community that I live in a little better for family and friends. So I try to do that on two levels in the Bobcast. Number one, I'm just simply answering listeners' questions. You've got a question, you want information, I'll try and get it to you, so I'll try to provide you that service. Um, number two, it has to be about so much more than that. So at times, we purposely stray from the hockey talk, and we talk about more important things, like men's health, like Movember, like the following from episode three, last November 11th. Men, we really do need to have a talk. And um, and, and listen, women, if I'm sure there's lots of women listening to the Bobcast at well, um, you're more than welcome to uh, listen into the conversation. And in fact, um, part of what we discuss here might well apply to the men in your life. So we'd be happy for you to pass that along. But gentlemen, uh, what we really need to talk about today is our nuts and our asshole. Give those balls a rub and uh, and see what's going on there. That's important. And there are a couple of tests for prostate cancer. The first one, most common and the best test for it, is what's known as the digital rectal exam, DRE. I guess we could call that DRE. And, of course, if you're going to go see the doctor, then we might as well call this the Dr. Dre treatment. My own doctor, in particular, is a huge leaf fan. He's got leaf memorabilia all over his walls, so there's nothing quite like getting the digital rectal exam. And while he's in the midst of it, asking what the prospects for the Toronto Maple Leafs are for this year. It was really important to me to uh, embrace something uh, above and beyond hockey talk. And, and for me, that was embracing Movember and making a big deal of the Movember Foundation in Canada. Um, I would urge you to go to it at any time, not just um, that's Movember Foundation Canada. And, uh, and, and, and look at the issues surrounding men's health uh, in terms of uh, testicular cancer, prostate cancer, as well as men's mental health. Um, basically every level. So of, of all the things we have done on the Bobcast to date, none of them uh, for me are as gratifying and rewarding as hearing from a loyal Bobcast listener who first wrote to us um, back in episode 13, uh, season one, March 31st, and, and here is that email. Hi, Bob. My name is Will Joyce. I'm a 27-year-old avid hockey fan living in Burlington, Ontario. I've been following your coverage of the league my whole life and have been enjoying the Bobcast this year as well. I wanted to send a quick thank you note for your coverage of men's health and testicular cancer awareness towards the end of last year. I've been involved in Movember and Relay for Life at varying times throughout my life, but your open and frank discussion to be looking for reminded me to be aware, as every male teen and adult should. Early this year, with your podcast top of mind, I discovered a lump on my testicle I knew I should have checked out. Long story short, my amazing doctors and healthcare team were quick to diagnose me with testicular cancer the day after my initial appointment and ultrasound. The testicle in question was removed less than a week after the diagnosis, and I'm set to begin chemotherapy tomorrow to treat the remaining cancer in my body. We're going to do it, no doubt, and that is certainly is rooted in my early detection. 
Thank you for speaking openly about men's health and reminding us to pay attention and be mindful of our bodies. We've got a bit of a fight ahead, but hell, almost all of us in Canada are hockey players. We were born for that. I'd encourage you to share as much of this note as you can fit into your podcast, if only to remind your listeners that it's important and so easy to check for testicular cancer. Health is always number one. Keep up the great work. You're one of the best. Cheers, Will Joyce. Uh, wow, that uh, honestly blows me away. I mean, to uh, to think this little podcast uh, actually made an appreciable difference for Will Joyce. For him to be sitting there listening to episode three, um, all about the, the Movember stuff, and for him to take the time um, to check himself for testicular cancer, to find out that he actually has it, and then to get it taken care of and, and go for treatment. Um, and, and we had Will check back in with us um, on June 30th of 2017 when we were doing episode 18, and here's, here's that uh, checking back in. Hi, Bob. I saw your tweet mentioning you're recording the last Bobcast of the season today, so I wanted to quickly let you know that things are going just fine on my end. I completed nine weeks of chemotherapy last month, and my body responded very well. I'm now waiting to find out when I will be having surgery to remove a residual mass of scar tissue remaining from the treatment. We haven't received confirmation that I'm cancer-free, but things are looking very good. I've learned cancer treatment certainly isn't quick, or a straightforward process, but we're lucky to access. We we're lucky to have access to this sort of care. Cancer sucks the big one and touches way too many lives. But I'm glad to be fighting from Canada. Happy Early Canada Day and free agent frenzy to you, Bob. On behalf of all my friends, my family, my fiance, thank you once again for using your platform to grow awareness and ensure men are remembering to check for testicular cancer and prostate cancer. Everyone's journey will be unique, but it's a lot easier to kick some ass when you get started right away. Thanks for playing a role in my journey, Bob. Please know my thoughts are with your friend Stu, as he does battle as well. Enjoy your well-deserved rest this summer. I believe you mentioned you would be cottaging and canoeing on Balsam Lake. Perhaps I will see you in around Kobe as I'm over on Shadow Lake. Cheers, Bob. Have a great summer. Will Joyce. And not to belabor the point, but uh, Will Joyce checked back in with us one more time, this time on Season 2, Episode 4, which was, of course, the 2017 Movember edition of the Bobcast. Hi, Bob. I've been waiting to send this email until I was fairly certain we had the news we've been waiting for. On September 21st, the same day I excitedly listened to the grand return of this year's Bobcast, I received the news that I was now considered cancer-free. It is just the start of a five-year relationship with my friends at Juravinsky, but I couldn't be more thank thankful to many people, but specifically to you for your efforts in raising awareness and getting me started on my journey back to health as quickly as possible. I'm determined to keep that conversation going, pay it forward, and share my experiences with others who may be faced with similar challenges. Last we spoke, I let you know I was waiting for surgery. This was eventually scheduled and completed on September 1st. It was major abdominal surgery to remove a mass left over from chemotherapy, and we were thrilled to learn the mass was just scar tissue and teratoma, which is benign on both counts. It was very at first, but I'm cruising now, and I was able to dance uninhibited during my wedding last week on October 14th. 
We had that date chosen long before my diagnosis and never once considered moving it. I'm thankful my treatment and both surgeries lined up as they did and we could keep our celebration where it was. Again, thank you for helping me get started when I did. Bob, I hope I can buy you a pint or a margarita sometime this year, whether in Toronto or during the summer in Cobaconk when you're less busy. It would mean a lot to be able to thank you properly, shake your hand, and maybe even briefly talk, talk some hockey. This is a long email, so feel free to share with your listeners or not, but I will ask that you encourage anyone who has not yet signed up for Movember or not sure they want to get involved to please commit to at least educating themselves about their health and having a conversation with their friends and loved ones about theirs. Just like a well-timed podcast, those conversations could very well save someone's life. If anyone is searching for a team, Team Joyce is open to anyone who would like to raise some awareness. Sincerely, Will Joyce. So there you go. I'm not sure there's really anything more we can add to uh, the Will Joyce story. That's one year in the life of Will Joyce, November to November, and uh, couldn't be happier about it for him and uh, for all our listeners, too. We do actually manage to squeeze in some hockey talk now and again in the Bobcast. Of course, that's uh, once we finish talking about Netflix shows, wine, music, margaritas, wine, more music. Actually, you know what? There is a lot of hockey talk on the Bobcast because we answer so many of your questions. Now, when you're doing a best of or the worst of, whatever the case may be, um, I'm not sure a lot of the the question and answer stuff makes it because uh, a lot of it's transient and uh, it's just basic information. Um, But I would like to go back to episode five when I got this question. The first one is from Evan in Saskatoon, and he asks, who's your favorite player in the National Hockey League, or are you even allowed to have a favorite player? Well, technically, you're correct. I shouldn't play favorites, Evan. Um, but, um, you know, I don't, I'm only human, and there's some players, I, some players I really enjoy watching. I mean, it goes without saying, guys like Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, these guys are Eric Carlson, uh, Alexander Ovechkin when he's on a tear, Patrick Liney, the way he's shooting the lights out right now, uh, Mitch Marner. Th- these guys are so much fun to watch. So those players become your favorites for what they can do on the ice. And, and when they do spectacular things, it's awesome. But you do sometimes get drawn um, to a to another player um, because of the way he carries himself or because of his personality or because of your uh, any exchanges you might have had with him. And there's one guy in particular I would center out as, I guess, a so-called favorite player in the NHL, and that would be Winnipeg Jet captain Blake Wheeler. And Wheeler's an interesting guy. He was drafted fifth overall in in 2004. A big guy, six foot five, 225, um, and he was a Minnesota high schooler. And and that was a really off the board pick at the time for the uh, the Phoenix Coyotes who took him. And I always remember Mike Barnett, who was with the Phoenix Coyotes at the time, telling me that they thought this guy was going to develop into an elite player in the National Hockey League. And I think they've—I think Mike Barnett's prophecy back on uh, on the 2004 draft day has has come to pass. I, I really like the way that that Blake Wheeler plays the game of hockey. Now it doesn't hurt that he is a specimen as far as being an athletic guy, six five, two twenty five. Um, terrific. He was a terrific high school football player, and uh, a lot of people thought that he might have the talent to go into other sports other than hockey, um, but he decided that, that hockey was going to be his thing. And and the reasons I like Blake Wheeler as a hockey player is both because of the way he carries himself on and off the ice. 
Um, I mean, he's been money in the bank in terms of offense productivity, 25 to 30 goals, 60 to 80 points. Last year was his career year, and his numbers are a little off that this year. But um, I just like how hard he plays. I think he plays the game physically, but I think he's he's close to elite in terms of that playmaking and goal-scoring ability. But what really shines through for me, for Blake Wheeler, is is how much he cares. He's a really passionate guy, and I think he's just a tremendous, on a Winnipeg Jet team that's really, really young, with Line A and Connor and Ehlers and Truba and Shifley and all these young guys, I don't think a team could get a better guy than Blake Wheeler to show them the way on what it means to be a professional. And and in all the situations that have cropped up over time in Winnipeg, whether it was the Evander Kane stuff or or anything else, um, there's always been a real maturity both on and off the ice to the way Blake Wheeler handles himself. And uh, I don't know, if, 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 if I still had kids who played minor hockey, I would tell them to watch Blake Wheeler, watch what he does on the ice, um, watch how he carries himself and, and how he talks off the ice, how much he cares and how passionate he is, and model your game after that. And as I said, not everybody can be a six foot five, two 225-pound athletic specimen, but uh, boy, oh boy, as, as he emerged as, as a, an elite player in the National Hockey League. And uh, I know a lot of Boston Bruin fans who, uh, when he was traded from Boston to Atlanta, would like to have that one back, although um, getting Rich Peverly certainly helped the Bruins win the Cup, and and that was an important deal uh, for the Bruins of that time. But uh, So yeah, answer to Evans, Haskatoon, uh, Blake Wheeler is one of my favorite players in the National Hockey League. <laughs> I really wanted to include that one because uh, as we finish up 2017 here, the Winnipeg Jets are having themselves quite a season. Uh, and Wheeler, along with the rest of the Jets, has been great. I guess I'm probably a little surprised that I actually picked an American as uh, one of, if not my favorite player in the National Hockey League because I, I do usually tend to stay pretty close to home. Um, proud Canadian. I, and I often gravitate towards Ontario players uh, that I get to know a little bit here. And uh, in, in in a number of instances, I guess you could say that I'm my, my favorite players in the National Hockey League are superstar players from Ontario. And it's, it's not merely because they're superstars on the ice as much as how they go about their business um, of being a superstar, sort of the process that they go through, the people that they are. And, and I can think of three really great examples of that. Um, number one would be John Tavares of the New York Islanders. There's another guy who's ending 2017 on a high note, uh, the Belmont announcement for the Islander franchise. Tavares still has to sign that contract if he's going to stay in Long Island, but um, that's more fodder for 2018. But um, I, I just love the way John Tavares plays the game of hockey, uh, approaches the game of hockey, and, and there's also a soft spot, too, because when my son Sean was growing up playing lacrosse here in uh, in Whitby, uh, John Tavares played up and uh, every year would be playing lacrosse against Sean. Just a phenomenal minor hockey athlete, minor lacrosse athlete. John Tavares was. He played for Oakville in, uh, in minor lacrosse. And so you, you get to see, uh, you know, a kid who was a phenom both at lacrosse and hockey at a very young age. And I've also got a soft spot for John Tavares because his uncle, John Tavares, the lacrosse legend, maybe the greatest lacrosse player of all time, um, 
So he would be a, a favorite. Another one would be would be Steven Samkos. Uh, again, another guy who, uh, as we wrap up 2017 here, is uh, is on fire. He and the Tampa Bay Lightning. They've had just a great season, and I'm so so happy for Steven Stamkos because here's a, a guy that's had so much adversity. I mean, the broken leg, missing the Olympics, uh, the blood clot that he had to uh, deal with. And then uh, blowing out his knee um, more than a year ago and bouncing back from that and bouncing back so strong. You know, he and Kucherov and Nemesnikov have been fantastic for the Lightning. The Lightning have been great. Um, and uh, it, it, it's phenomenal to, to see that because if, if ever there was a, a young guy in the National Hockey League that deserves to have something really, really good happen to him after having so many shitty things happen to him over the years... It would be uh, Steven Stamkos. Another NHL player that I, I really, really like um, is Connor McDavid for obvious reasons. I mean, it's easy to pick the so-called best player in the game um, to be one of your favorite players. But I guess one of the things that impresses me the most about guys like Tavares and Stamkos and McDavid is how when they're growing up, they know they're phenomenal. And yet they manage to maintain a humility and a work ethic and the application of that process that I talked about where they're so damn serious about their craft and, and getting better. Um, I'm just blown away and impressed by, by how they do that. And I think the other consistent thread that runs through all of those three guys, um, Tavera, Stamkos and McDavid, and I know this because I've gotten to know them and their families a little bit, is, is just the type of family that they come from. Um, to get to know John Tavares' mom, Barb, from being in the lacrosse rinks with her over the years, um, to uh, uh, to talk to his dad. You know, the, the funny thing is, is my book, Hockey Confidential, um, each of those three guys, Tavares, um, Stamkos, and McDavid, all played a significant role in in different chapters of Hockey Confidential, the uh, the anthologies uh, of stories that I told about hockey people. And in the case of Tavares, it was very much about what it's like to be a goal scorer. And I did a, a long Q&A with John Tavares and his, and his uncle, John, the lacrosse legend, about goal scoring. And that was one of my favorite things to do in, in the book. And um, on Connor McDavid, his chapter was about growing up exceptional. I got to spend some time with um, Connor and his his mom and dad, Brian and Kelly. Um, it was during it was the middle of Connor's second season with the Erie Otters, and um, it was it was phenomenal to get an insight into what it is like to grow up exceptional. And there's a lot of John Tavares in that chapter as well, because John Tavares was literally the first exceptional hockey player in the eyes of Hockey Canada or the Ontario Hockey League that is gaining early admission to the OHL for being an exceptional 15-year-old. And um, the Stephen Stamkos, he didn't have his own chapter, but the final chapter of Hockey Confidential is about Yari Bursky, um, the, uh, the Polish-slash-Ukrainian skating and skills coach that so many NHL players, including Stamko, still use to this day, but were, were su was such an integral part of them growing up and, and developing their skills as youngsters. 
And uh, that Yeri Bursky chapter in Hockey Confidential might be my favorite. And Steven Stamkos was instrumental in in telling that story of Yari Bursky, which really was a story of life and death and how Yari Bursky's life was, in a manner of speaking, saved um, by something Steven Stamkos did at the World Junior Championship and that I was reporting on and that uh, was a turning point at a really dark time for Yari, who's one of my all-time uh, favorite people. So anyways, uh, favorite players. Um, I, I, I refer to, to Tavares, Stamkos, and McDavid as great kids. They're not kids so much. Well, I guess McDavid's still a kid, but uh, John Tavares, Stephen Stamkos, uh, Connor McDavid, great kids, uh, great families, and uh, for a lot of reasons, they, along with Blake Wheeler, are my favorite players in the National Hockey League. I do go a little bit off the board for another player who's become one of my favorites in the National Hockey League. I would suggest that he's a little late to the party. But nevertheless, uh, for me, one of the great stories in the NHL over the last couple of years here has been the renaissance of Alex Radulov. And if you remember back to the 2012 playoffs with the Nashville Predators, um, Alex Radulov kind of left the NHL in shame and went to the KHL. And uh, he's returned to the NHL. Uh, and anybody who knows their Bobcast history knows that I found it to be absolutely glorious. When you get the, the label of being an enigmatic player or somebody whose character and uh, uh, personality are being questioned, people judge you really harshly. And, and in this instance, um, you know, he puts his work boots on every night. He's one of the hardest working Canadians. Real strong player, down low, wins a lot of battles on the boards. Um, does a lot of dirty work, um, you know, can finish goals in tight, uh, makes plays in tight. Um, he's got tremendous vision. His skill is real good. And I, I think, though, the thing that's really warmed people up to Alex Radulov, I know it has for me, um, is just the incredible passion that he's showing for the game and that big toothless grin. And he's ex he's as excited, if not more excited, when when he sets up one of his teammates for a goal, as when he scores it himself. And and I know myself, um, that's been really enjoyable for me to watch. And it's also taught me something else. I actually, didn't teach it; it just reinforced what it, what I already knew. And that is, in our society, there's a real rush to judgment. It's a very judgmental society, and I really believe that Twitter and social media has really raised the stakes and exacerbated that in, in, in a big way. That is, if somebody makes a mistake or they do something wrong, um, boy, oh boy, uh, there's, there's a righteous mob out there that is ready to jump on you and, and really, um, really give, give it to you. And, and in, in this case, whether it's Radulov or, or anything else, you know, just because you do something bad doesn't make you a bad person. And just because you do something stupid doesn't necessarily make you a stupid person. It could, but um, in many instances, as long as you're learning, evolving, um, learning from your mistakes, and Radulov admitted he made a mistake in, in that playoff run in 2012, um, you know, move on. You, you you grow and you change. And, and listen, I, I can only tell you from personal experience that I'm not, when I think about the person I was a year or two ago, never mind five years ago or 10 years ago, man, oh man, I, I don't even recognize my younger self 
many times. And for, um, as I said, uh, that the, the, the whole social media thing and jumping on people for when they make a mistake and, uh, and, and giving it to them. Um, there's not a, always a lot of forgiveness or allowance, but, uh, in this instance, I, I think it's, uh, it's safe to say Radulov has, has won over just about everybody. I know he did me. And, um, and for me, it's the, the joy and the passion that he shows playing the game in addition to the great skill and the numbers. And speaking of pure, unadulterated joy, hit it, Mulls. Radulov, depuis que t'es dans ma ville, Radulov, tout a l'air plus facile. Tu donnes ton cœur pour les vainqueurs. Radulov, on veut toutes les gagner. jusqu'à la Coupe Stanley, tu donnes ton cœur pour les meilleurs. ensemble avec que l'hiver sera doux Love, love, love Le CH est notre emblème Love, love, love Radou en God damn, I love that song. It's a toe tapper. It just makes me so hap, hap, happy every time I hear it. And that, by the way, is Matt Laurent, a uh, francophone artist uh, from Quebec, who, um, if you go to YouTube and uh, Google up Matt Laurent, Radulov, and you can actually see the video that goes with it. It's very cool. Who doesn't love a little ukulele now and again? That was Matt on the ukulele. And I, and I don't imagine that Matt actually went to Red Square in Moscow to, uh, to film the video that went with this. Maybe he did, but I don't think so. I'm guessing it's green screen. But in any case, it's, uh, it's really cool. And, uh, um, as I say, Watching Radulov play hockey this year gives me great joy because he plays it with so much joy and passion. And I thought that song, even though I don't know what the hell the words meant, my, my French is really limited. Um, we, I could probably bring James Duffy on this podcast because he's bilingual too. Go figure. Um, but in any case, um, that, uh, every time Radulov scores a goal or I see Radulov play well, I sometimes tweet out the link, the YouTube link to the Matt Laurent song and, and I don't say anything. I just put it out because it, it inspires me. And people, the, the, the mentions I get afterwards are like, you know, what the F? What's this all about? In any case, um, love the song. Uh, love the way that Radulov plays. <laughs> Obviously, Montreal fans are pretty upset that Radulov is no longer playing for them. Um, and Radulov is still doing some great things at times for uh, a somewhat underachieving Dallas Star team. Uh, he still uh, scores some big goals or scores in the shootout, and he still flashes that big toothless grin, and uh, I still uh, love it. It's uh, maybe not quite the same uh, playing Matt Laurent's song after uh, Radulov does something special in the, the green of the Dallas Stars. Maybe something's a little lost in translation, but you know what? I still like to play the song, and I, I still very much love it. Um, sometimes on the Bobcast, like the proverbial blind squirrel finding a nut, um, I get one right too. My thought is, I won't be surprised, overly surprised, 
if Jonathan Drouin gets traded by the Tampa Bay Lightning in this offseason. So there you go. I do occasionally get one right. Jonathan Drouin was traded by the Tampa Bay Lightning, although with the way things have gone for Montreal this year, it only goes to figure that Mikhail Sergachev has been shooting the lights out for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, that's not to say Drew M won't be a great player uh, for the Canadians. Now, I don't have time to tell you all the things I got wrong on previous podcasts. We'd be here for uh, forever and a day. Um, so uh, we won't do that. Uh, now, we are in the midst of the uh, World Junior Championship, and it is a great tourney, and there are so many great stories, and I did tell a ton of those. And if you're interested in hearing a lot of great World Junior stories, uh, you can head back to Episode 6 of the Bobcast, but uh, my favorite of all my World Junior Championship stories comes from New Year's Eve, 1993, and uh, here it is from Episode 6. Which brings us to the Snake Lady of Ostrava story, um, which for me is the creme de la creme of non-hockey-related World Junior stories. TSN's always been really good when we're away. Uh, They take real good care of us uh, for Christmas dinners, and for New Year's Eve celebrations. They either find us uh, a special event to to be a part of on Christmas or New Year's Eve, uh, or failing that, they organize it themselves. On this particular year in Ostrava, the hotel we were staying at was having a big New Year's Eve gala dinner party. And uh, so they got us tickets for that. And it was quite a lovely hotel, and there was quite a big, banquet room with a big dance floor and tables all around it and uh, so we all got tickets to go to this dinner and it was a nice you know prime rib dinner and they had live music it was sort of like an eagles knockoff cover band Uh, the music was nice the company was great and it was quite a lovely evening people were there with their families Uh, I'm sure there were some Czech people that were there just for the night with with their families teenage kids and what have you there were a lot of NHL scouts that brought their families along as well to to this tournament so a wide range men women children you name it um, at this lovely New Year's Eve party so Late in the evening, it would have been around 11 p.m., not quite yet to New Year's, um, all of a sudden there was a bit of a commotion and uh, we heard some sort of Spanish flamenco music. And and the next thing you know, there's um, uh, a couple of flamenco dancers on on the floor and putting on quite a nice display of flamenco dancing and everybody thinks this is very nice terrific and if I remember correctly they were the the flamenco dancer was followed by a uh, uh, a magician of sorts and uh, so everybody's quite enjoying this uh, this floor show that we're getting um, troop of people that had obviously come in to entertain us uh, above and beyond the Eagles cover band that had been playing well then all of a sudden um, a young lady came out onto the dance floor. She carrying, she was carrying a large, tall wicker basket. It was probably about four or five feet high. And she was a little bit, I don't know if you ever saw the show, I Dream of Jeannie, but she looked a little bit like uh, a Czech version of Barbara Eden. Uh, all sorts of chiffon robes and what have you. And she's doing a very nice impressionistic dance, spinning little ballet, 
Um, and as she's going along, she's waving and these sh- taking off pieces of chiffon robe. And so we're watching this, and partway through it, I said to one of the guys, I go, you know, if I didn't know better, I'd, I'd almost think she's stripping. And they're like, no, no, come on, look around, look at this place. There's families here. No, it c- couldn't be. And I said, no, I don't know. It just, I don't know, call it experience, but this looks to me like a strip show. So anyways, um, she continued to take off pieces of clothing and um, was getting down to the nitty gritty and uh, suddenly off came her top and there was audible gasps and some of the people that were there with her family got up and and started making their way out. Uh, Meanwhile, the the TSN crew, especially the the technical guys, they their, their attention was suddenly a lot more riveted on this show than than the Eagles cover band per se, and uh, uh, that's fine. And all of a sudden, um, believe it or not, uh, off came the rest of her clothing. So, completely naked woman dancing around the floor in this New Year's Eve dinner party hotel with a, a crowd of, of mixed people—just husbands, wives, kids—like you wouldn't believe. Everybody was totally aghast. And um, what's the best way to put this? Remember I I mentioned the Great Alaskan Bush Company in Alaska? Well, I think this young lady, she easily could have worked at the Great Alaskan Bush Company. I'll say no more than that. It gets worse. Um, Then all of a sudden, she grabs the wicker basket, um, lifts the lid off, and then proceeds to... Uh, shake out of the wicker basket. It looked to me like a six-foot boa constrictor, a live snake. And now all of a sudden, she's dancing with the snake around her neck, around other body parts, and she's down on the floor with the snake doing things that you can only imagine. Um, Nobody in the crowd can believe what's going on. Um, (laughs) Even now, I I still laugh at the, the memory of it. And uh, by this point, uh, a third of the place had cleared out um, because they obviously were so offended. And uh, suffice to say, none of the TSN people had cleared out. And we were actually getting quite a laugh out of the the whole absurdity of this New Year's Eve in in Ostrava in the Czech Republic. And uh, with that, uh, she picked up the uh, the snake, threw it back in the basket. Uh, one of her cohorts came out, wrapped a blanket around her, and out the door she ran with the rest of this troupe that had put on the flamenco dancing, the uh, the magic the guy doing magic tricks, and the infamous snake lady. So it wasn't quite midnight, and I, I do remember that Perry Pern, who coached the 1993 World Junior Team, who was doing TV analysis for us there, my, myself and Perry Pern and some of the other guys from TSN, we decided to leave there and celebrate New Year's at the People's Disco, which wasn't too far from the hotel. It would be a, a spot that we'd uh, been frequenting over the, the tournament. And it was... Ostrava was kind of an interesting place. Um, you know, disco was real big in the 70s, but uh, here we were in the 90s, and this had the old, uh, the illuminated dance floor with the psychedelic lights underneath it. And uh, so we were over there, and uh, at midnight, there was a, a balcony that uh, overhung the uh, the dance floor, and 
some crazy bastard up there decided that it would be really funny to throw fireworks onto a really crowded dance floor. So cherry bombs were blowing up in the air as they were coming down. Those little lady fingers ended up on the dance floor, and there were rows and rows of them going off, like uh, sounded like machine gun fire. And there were all sorts of burn marks all over this white dance floor. And uh, that was how we celebrated New Year's Eve in, in Ostrava. And the kicker to the story is that about an hour after the New Year's had struck at the People's Disco, suddenly we heard flamenco music. And in came the same flamenco dancers we saw at the hotel. And needless to say, once the flamenco dancers were done, then the guy came out and did some magic trips, magic tricks. And then you know what happened next. We were treated to round two of the Snake Lady of Ostrova. By the way, I should point out that next year's World Junior Championship, the 2019 World Juniors, will be held in Vancouver and Victoria. Very excited about going back to Vancouver. And in 2020, and here's the important news note, in 2020, the World Junior Championship will return to Ostrava in the Czech Republic. So maybe the snake lady will come back and visit. Now, as everyone knows, music is a huge part of the Bobcast, and it was a fascinating year in music, but it was also a very sad one. We lost so many musical legends in 2017. I was looking at the list of them, Fats Domino, Chuck Berry, Wayne Cochran, Glenn Campbell. doesn't matter what kind of music you like. Um, these guys were all legends uh, in their particular fields, um, but th they were also very old, and uh, you know, it's the natural order of things. You live, you die. Nobody lives forever. Um, unfortunately, in 2017, we had so many rock stars who left us far too early, and there were five in particular whose uh, departure literally rocked my world. Um, number one would be Tom Petty. I was thinking back to the 2017 Stanley Cup final when uh, James Duffy and uh, the TSN gang and myself, at uh, we got to see you too. We just missed... Uh, the way that things shook out in Pittsburgh, being able to see Tom Petty there. And, and when I think of Tom Petty, um, you know, there's the, 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 in music, the Great American Songbook, of course, which is uh, more traditional music from the 50s and uh, Sinatra and, and those guys. But I, I've got my rock version of the Great American Songbook, and it includes, for me, guys like Bruce Springsteen, John Mellencamp, and Tom Petty. And it was always on my bucket list to go and see Tom Petty, and um, came so very, very close in, in Pittsburgh, we didn't get a chance to do it. And um, unfortunately, that's uh, uh, a bucket list thing that we're not going to get to do because of the, the passing of, of Tom Petty. So that was number one. Number two was when I heard about the passing of uh, Malcolm Young, uh, Angus's brother and the co-founder of ACDC at age 64. Now, Malcolm had not been part of ACDC for a number of years um, because he'd uh, suffered from dementia. And in fact, the whole ACDC dynamic as a group had suffered greatly in recent times because Brian Johnson, the, the, the lead singer after, after Bon Scott, um, Brian Johnson, in I think it was April of 2016, um, had to stop touring with the band um, because of severe hearing issues that he had. And um, Axl Rose had took over in mid-tour for ACDC. And um, I, uh, I always was on my bucket list to see ACDC. And sadly and weirdly, 
I never got that chance. And now that Brian Johnson is no longer the lead singer and uh, Malcolm Young's no longer part of it, um, although, as I said, he hadn't been for a few years anyways, it, it just wouldn't be the same if I do go see ACDC with, um, with Axl Rose. So um, I'll have to be content to uh, listen to uh, Jim Brewer interviews on the Howard Stern Show, the comedian Jim Brewer, who does an amazing <laughs> Brian Johnson imitation, but uh, love ACDC and uh, the the passing of Malcolm Young. And in 2016, Brian Johnson having to step away from it uh, was hugely impactful. Um, another tremendous loss to the music community was the, the death of Chris Cornell. And... Uh, he was, he was in Soundgarden in Audio Slave, and I can't honestly say that I ever saw or planned to see Soundgarden or Audio Slave, and I never actually purchased or listened to a ton of their music. But I was obviously aware of Chris Cornell, and I'm I'm not sure there was another guy that could in rock anywhere, anytime, who had the vocal range of um, of a guy like Chris Cornell. And uh, it was all the, the more sad because, um, you know, Cornell took his own life and there, there's been far too much of that going on in, uh, in the music world as well. But, uh, you know, the vocal range for a guy like Chris Cornell, you know, listen to Soundgarden, listen to Audio Slave, um, but also go on YouTube and, and listen to some of the cover versions that he did. Um, he does Prince's song, Nothing Compares to You. Um, you know, just chilling. Uh, Billy Jean by Michael Jackson. Um, Chris Cornell singing that absolutely um, incredible. And, uh, and, and a fourth uh, tragedy, and it was nothing less than that. And this one didn't maybe get as much attention as Tom Petty or Malcolm Young or Chris Cornell, but that's Chester Bennington, who's the lead singer uh, of Linkin Park. And um, what's really weird about this one now, Chester Bennington also took his own life and he did so on Chris Cornell's, what would have been Chris Cornell's 53rd birthday. And uh, Bennington and Cornell, I guess, were very close friends. And Bennington had said after Chris Cornell died, I don't want to live in a world where there's no Chris Cornell, um, which is very sad. But um, I thought Linkin Park was uh, a really underrated band. And uh, I liked how how hard driving they could rock and the, the the singing of Chester Bennington and the tortured screams that um, that go with the songs of Chester Bennington and, and Linkin Park are, are absolutely chilling that that scream in uh, given up. Um, I think it's about a 17 second scream. And whenever I think about people with mental health issues, and obviously Bennington was one of those, um, that song "Given Up" comes uh, comes to mind. And in particular, in the final minute, um, where there is that 17-second scream, it's just um, it's it's all the more haunting now um, with the departure of of Bennington. And of course, the uh, the the fifth departure um, from the music world was probably the one that was closest to home for me. And that, of course, was uh, the death of Gord Downey. 
Uh, Gord, as everybody knows, was a friend and an inspiration. And uh, I didn't include any of it here in this best of Bobcast uh, year end for 2017. But uh, I would recommend, if you're at all a fan of the Tragically Hip and or Gord, um, go back to this season, season two, episode three, that was done on October 20th, just after Gord passed away. And the entire episode was devoted to Gord and the Tragically Hip. And in particular, um, the tapes of uh, a luncheon conversation I had with Gord that uh, led to the, the, the chapter in Hockey Confidential um, that I wrote about Gord. So um, by all means, check that out. So yeah, 2017 was a year of great loss in the, uh, the music industry. Uh, so many great artists left us. Um, so many great artists that I can say were a huge part of the fabric of my life. And uh, I guess the, the, the bright side of uh, when, when musicians depart is they leave us with a great legacy. They leave us with their music. And to that end, I would like to leave you with their music for uh, this, the end of uh, 2017. So um, enjoy this five-song playlist that I've put together. And uh, let's just rock the hell out of our way out of 2017 and into 2018. And as far as bucket lists and the dearly departed go, um, if you haven't done what's on your bucket list, get busy. Time's a-wasting. Catch you on the other side in 2018.
Okay, that's it for the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like to submit a question on hockey or just about anything else, email it to bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca, and we'll try to get it on the next Bobcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. That's At TSN Bob McKenzie. And for great hockey coverage all year round, follow the At TSN Hockey Twitter account and make tsn.ca your source for all things hockey, especially for the Tuesday and Thursday editions of Insider Trading with myself, Darren Dreger, and Pierre Lebrun. Thanks for tuning into the Bobcast. See you next time, and have a great weekend.